If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Borgent. This is our weekly Two Cents segment and we're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And in the Two Cents segment, we take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. And I'm joined as usual by Chris Bates. G'day, Chris. How's things? Mate, life's good. How, how are you doing over there in the UK, Pete? Um, you must be coming home soon, are you? I'm indeed, yeah. We've got the Rask Roadshow coming up. Just been playing a bit of golf this week and uh, the British Open's been on as well. It was a bit drizzly, to be honest, but uh, yes, and uh, not too long until I'm back on a plane to Australia. What's happening over there? Mate, I'm doing the opposite. I'm actually exiting Australia on Tuesday for uh, 12 nights or something in Fiji. So we're, um, the Bates household is trying to avoid getting sick. So I'm not sure what little nuclear weapons my daughter will bring home from kindy tomorrow, um, but if we can get through... Thursday and Monday, we were um, <clears throat> on the home straight. So, um, yeah, I've noticed airfares are down a little bit. They're probably uh, certainly flying London. They seem to be down about 20, 25% from where they were. They did go sky high for a period there. So, just starting mm. to ease, thankfully, because it's been pretty painful. Yeah. I mean, I guess people are, uh, haven't been booking their holidays if their flights are really expensive. It's sort of like the, um, I guess the ticket you think, oh, if I can get book a cheap flight, and then you forget that the actual major expense on the holidays is once you actually start traveling, the hotels, the food, the flights usually are the cheap bit by the end of it. Um, so, what's happening in the property world this week, Pete? There's always lots going on. So, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, right before the release of the all imports and inflation figures. So, uh, we'll do a deep dive on those next week. I guess the debate will roughly revolve around whether uh, inflation 
falling is good enough for now or whether inflation needs to be back down to target ASAP, in which case more rate hikes. So as you listen to this, um, you'll have the information to hand with. Uh, flying blind here because the uh, figures are out in about two hours' time. Uh, so we'll come back to the inflation figures next week. Uh, the big three property news stories this week. So if you're not familiar, every Sunday at 7 a.m., you'll find a two cents segment in your favorite podcast player this week. Um, so the first news story, interesting report out from Jarden about listings data since 2010. And now it shows more people are selling in Sydney. So we've been through this long period of low supply. And now suddenly new listings are actually above average. Um, only just recently has this happened, but is this the start of a, a wider trend towards some forced sales or people exiting the market? Second uh, news story, which is kind of related actually, mortgage stress and mortgage arrears are now rising across all the data sets. So uh, Moody's, S&P, Fitch, Experian, they're all reporting the same thing. Uh, personal uh, debt arrears and also home loan arrears on the way up. So we're going to take a look at how serious that is and where the stress is emerging in the country around which suburbs and so on. And then thirdly, uh, Victoria, it uh, sounds like rent controls are potentially on the table. So we've seen this once before in Victoria not so long ago, and now it seems that everything's on the table. We've got a land tax proposal and our rent control. So we're going to take a look at what's going on in Victoria and what all that might mean. Um, so, Chris, let's kick off with the, the Jardin report because I know mm. you did some analysis on this on your LinkedIn uh, so what's it showing? I guess investors are probably leading the way in terms of selling. Look, um, I do a bit of consulting with Jardin. I'm one of their sort of mortgage brokers they come to talk to when they want to know what's happening on the ground with with banks and borrowers, et cetera. Um, and so I always like to get, get a bit of uh, insights with their reports as well from um, Carlos and the team there. I mean, it's a really interesting report they've done is they've um, basically the, the title of it is around mortgage prisoners, right? How much, how rates have gone up so much, how many people can't refinance. And, um, you know, their numbers are showing maybe even 20% of people can't refinance. And that's a big deal if you can't refinance because you can't restructure your repayments, you can't get a better interest rate, you can't release buffers. But they did make a really good point that there's been a change with borrowing um, assessment rates for people to refinance. So you can refinance on a 1% assessment rate rather than a three, which means that, you know, you've got an extra 20% borrowing capacity. So that really reduces the number that can't refinance. Um, and I mean, their report also highlighted that, you know, just how um, little listings were, came onto the market. Because um, they, in a core logic, you do a lot of the five-year average on, on listings. And you know, I've always wanted to know well, what's the 10 year, what's the over the last you know, 10, 15 years. And this is a good report, saved me doing the digging myself, because um, it really showed the listing numbers and how it flew, uh, it went through the, the year. Um, and it just showed that 2021 was enormous listings um, into the tail end of uh, 2021. And that makes sense because people list when markets are good, you know, when times are good, you know, they take money off the table or they get the, they're confident because there's this FOMO. We need to upgrade now, otherwise we're going to miss it. And so listings always follow growth. And I think what we can, and the opposite happens when when growth's not looking um, great, listings fall off a cliff. And the exactly thing happened. It was mirror image across different states. Um, 2021, even into 2022, very high listing, decade um, um, high numbers. And then as soon as that rate started going up, listings fell off a cliff and at all time lows, well, over that period, you know, it was lowest since 2010. The start of 2023, the lowest since 2010. Um, and But what was interesting with this report is it did show that listing numbers have really sort of jumped in the last month, unseasonal. 
Look, I think this is a really big thing to watch over the next six months is, yeah, do listings keep on increasing? Because listings also, um, that's really the, I believe, the key ingredient that it completely flips the um, dem- uh, the sentiment in the market. If people feel like they've got choice, they feel like there's no need to be urgent, they sit on their hands, more listings come on, and then it's it's just really the, the seller has to come to the buyer, not the other way around. And so... I think Carlos and the team didn't really go and identify where those listings are. We, we spoke a bit on the last um, two cents on where they're coming up. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, listings numbers could come up, but that doesn't mean the whole market's coming up. I believe it's going to be in a lot of these investor hotspots, which the initial data also agrees with. So passing these figures and just looking at the graph, yes, at the beginning of 2023, New listings in Sydney were pretty much at decade lows. And then just in the last month, they're now rising. Now, the interesting thing to me on this graph, which you can't see on a podcast, is that um, normally at this time of year, listings would actually be pretty flat um, if you look at the average over the past 12 years. But uh, for this time of year, well, they're actually going up now. So it's like the spring selling season has come early. Mm. And it could be that potentially by... Uh, towards the end of the year, we could be actually well above average on the current trajectory anyway. Um, Do you get a sense, Chris, from the reporting of some of the areas where uh, the listings are coming on? I know we talked about previously uh, with some of the suburb trends figures that uh, some of the the areas where the listings are really taking off are places like um, Logan and some of the regional Queensland markets, I guess where people have largely been focused on investing for cash flow where mortgage rates were lower, and now mortgage rates have gone up and some people are exiting the market. Yeah, I mean, that's typically there's a whole cohort of property people um, who believe that positive cash flow, and a lot of investors get sold this dream. I, You know, you can get amazing cash flow and amazing growth. It's just the holy grail. If that was so easy, then, you know, everyone would be property millionaires and they'd keep buying more and more and more. It's just the reality is not many people buy more than one investment property um, because they don't get the holy grail. Um, and we don't even really think it exists. And so a lot of people, uh, property investors, they say, oh, I want to buy an investment. But I don't, don't want it to cost me any money. I just don't want to put any money in my pocket. I want to, you know, live my great life and not uh, and build wealth without making any sacrifices. And what ends up happening is they end up going to areas where paying a higher rent as a percentage of the property. Um, but there's usually a risk attached to that. And that's either a lot of other investors um, a lot of supply risk, a lot of uh, maybe the demand from owner-occupiers, not that strong in terms of the demographic that are buying there. Um, and, you know, and I think in the last three years, there's been quite a bit of growth across the whole market because a rising tide lifts all shifts, right? So when interest rates went from 4% down to 2% um, and borrowing capacities went through the roof and FOMO kicked in in 2021, all properties went up because there was not enough property selling and too many buyers, right? And I think a lot of that's getting unwound. I think the interest rates have done the complete opposite. They're higher than when they went into 2021, um, 2020. Um, and a lot of investors are running for the hills because that positive cash flow is no longer positive cash flow when rates are 6 or 7%. Unfortunately, as well, a lot of these investors um, have gone to brokers Um who um, have had to stretch their borrowing capacities. Maybe it's their second or third one. And they've had to go into non-bank lenders, which typically offer you more borrowing capacity than the bigger banks. Uh, and unfortunately, we think that they're also being mortgage prisoners in these banks because they can't refinance those loans. And what's ended up happening is the non-banks haven't reduced their interest rates like the big banks have. So they could be on 7 plus percent interest rates, can't refinance. The rents, ha- even though they've gone up, aren't enough to cover the, the higher interest. Um, 
and that's now negative cash flow. And they've got a choice. Do we keep funding a negative cash flow property when money's tight um, because our owner-occupier home's gone through the roof, our interest rate? Or do we sell our investment property or sell our home? And what are people going to make in that scenario? They're going to sell their investment property um, and try to knuckle down and keep their home. I think some of the other areas where you might start to see a bit of a, a build-up in listings is probably in some of those higher-density uh, type of markets because that's where investors are heavily concentrated. Uh, so you might see a jump in listings in some of those pockets. It doesn't necessarily mean some of the lower density areas like the eastern suburbs of Sydney or lower North Shore and Northern Beaches, maybe not so much. Um, certainly it's not not showing in the listings figures now. We are seeing uh, increases in some markets, but certainly not uh, some of those blue chip areas. It's just not been happening. Uh, Chris, I guess this kind of almost directly rolls into our second story, which is about the rise of mortgage stress and mortgage arrears. Um, because it's kind of showing similar similar thing, really. Some of those blue chip areas, um, mortgage arrears are the lowest in the country. Um, so I guess the the story, and it's picked up in a few different places. We've got um, the Australian James Kirby did a piece on it. Um, but I guess the story is uh, sort of doing the rounds a little bit. And that is that um, personal loan arrears are now rising, which tends to foreshadow a rise in home loan arrears. And actually, home loan arrears now have been rising steadily since around about October last year, which would make sense because interest rates have been on the way up. I think the usually the biggest indicator of mortgage stress and mortgage arrears is simply whether people have a job or not. And the unemployment rate in New South Wales fell to 2.9% wow. last month. So that's the lowest on record since the ABS uh, data series started 40-odd years ago. Uh, so that most people still have a job, and especially in New South Wales, but we're starting to see some mortgages falling into arrear. So it looks to me, Chris, like from the figures anyway, that uh, the outer suburban mortgage belt um, seems to be the place where the arrears are highest. So Sydney, Southwest, outer Southwest, outer West, and also Melbourne, Melbourne Northwest. Um, but the lowest areas, again, eastern suburbs, North Shore, northern beaches, uh, Brisbane North, and those kind of blue chip areas. Mm. Um, so yeah, do you get any sense from uh, some of your clients about mortgage stress, mortgage arrears, and what what kind of uh, sort of feedback you're getting? What kind of actions are people taking? Look, I mean, we've got a um, a marketplace that is in those more premium areas. I mean, our average loan size per client coming into 2022 was about 1.5 million, right? And so all our clients typically are buying in those other areas, and we have got very little clients buying in the areas where those um, arrears are. However, we are absolutely seeing, um, you know, particularly clients who um, took on loans in 2021 and uh, or 20, even, you know, at the start of 2022 or, you know, late 2020, um, whose repayments have jumped up massively. They're coming off fixed rates um, and weekly we're talking them through the new repayments. How do we get them on a better variable rate? Um, is there a way to refinance, et cetera? I do believe no matter... Um, even if someone's doing really well financially and they are on top of their mortgage, they're very rate conscious right now and they're very um, con uh, conscious of how their repayments are jumping up. And so they're naturally a little bit more conservative by nature, hence why they're on top of their debt. But that's also making them make cutbacks, even if they know they're on top of it and they could be out there spending money and they're really on top of their mortgage. I feel like they're making cutbacks too. So I don't think it's just the people who are in big mortgages and are getting debt stress, I think everyone's naturally moving towards being a bit more conservative with their money um, and are really wanting to, um, are really worried about the interest rates really. And I think there's a bit of job stress. I know unemployments are all low, all time low, but 
I think people are worried about potentially a recession coming and um, they're really starting to make cutbacks. That would be my observation. I, I think we've got more inquiry than ever. Clients really wanting to know how they're going to get through this period. We've got one client in a payment holiday. Um, and so if you do get to this situation, I did a post on LinkedIn about all these other options before you speak to the bank in terms of, um, you know, lots of different things. Um, but uh, if you do get to this last situation when you're speaking to a bank, banks will most likely will give you a six-month payment holiday. They'll most likely give you options for interest only. They'll they'll work with you, um, especially if it's not the property doesn't look like it's in negative equity and there's a, there's a reason why things are tough right now. Maybe in this situation for our client, he was made redundant. Um, and so they said, look, we'll give you six months to get another job and uh, and get on top of your mortgage and, you know, no repayments for six months. And so, yeah, we aren't seeing it, but we are seeing people worried about it. So we're not seeing people going into arrears, but I, I do imagine in the outer rings it's it's becoming more and more of a problem. I think the big question, Chris, is could we see like an Armageddon scenario? If you look back at the RBA rate hike cycle, so uh, 1994, 99, 2002, 2009, and this most recent one, uh, which commenced May 2022. So we're only uh, just over a year into this cycle. Well, there's never been a cycle like this where we've gone from, uh, well, I guess a, a cash rate target of near enough zero. Uh, so we've seen 400 basis points of hikes in a very quick space of time, you know, very short period. Um, so th- none of those previous cycles um, saw anything like this. So 1994, yes, there was a rapid uh, increase, but that was only 275 basis points. This time we've had 400. And yes, we were coming from zero, but that's really going to uh, shake some household budgets because much as people um, keep buffers and so on, nobody was really expecting, I think, uh, the dramatic turnaround in fortunes for the budget, the economy, for unemployment. I mean, it's not so long ago. Uh, unemployment forecast for sort of 10, 12%. And now we're at the lowest in New South Wales, lowest in modern history. Um, so I guess that's the question, Chris. Do you think there could be a scenario here where we just get mass defaults and a rush for the exits and uh, people defaulting left, right and centre? And uh, I guess that's, you know, people have been talking about this for as long as I can remember. But do you think this could be the one? I think we went into this with a massive undersupply, still growth in our house and land packages. We haven't really been releasing heaps. We're not building a lot. And so there's, I think there's this overbuilding, oversupply of these type of properties. So even if we do see an increase in listing numbers, personally, I think there's enough pent-up demand uh, from people wanting to get into the market. And if there is any type of pullback in prices, I think that would be offset by first-home buyers. Um, there may be a borrowing capacity issue for these first-home buyers. So I think that's the, the issue potentially. So let's say someone bought a house and land package for a million dollars in Western Sydney. Um, and, you know, to do that, you needed a salary of, say, 150, right, to 170. Well, now you probably need a salary closer to 250, right, um, because borrowing capacity has fallen. So that could be a bit of an issue, right? So there could be a repricing event. But I think there's enough buyers there that would, you know, because there's very little options on the new building because, you know, I think that's really drying up. And people want to own established, not the new build because they're worried about building issues. And so I don't think there's an Armageddon situation, but I do think there could be a bit of a repricing there, Um back down to borrowing capacity. Um, I think the house, the unit market is typically with a lot of investors. Um, 
I do think a lot of first-time buyers don't want to go near high density. Um, they've read about the building issues. They're constantly in the news. There was ones recently um, with defects. And um, they're all sort of switching on that the more established, older Art Deco blocks are better investments. I, I think a massive change from, you know, five to eight years ago when I would start talking about this with clients, people just were completely unaware. Um, and so I, don't, I think there could be a bit of a, a, an issue there where you start to see a lot of investors bailing in these investor hotspots um, and in high-density apartments, which you alluded to, Pete. Um, but is there 30 40% price falls or something like that? I, I highly doubt it. Um, but, you know, there could be this um, at least pressure downwards because a lot of those apartments didn't go up in COVID either. This is, you know, everyone thought that everything boomed in 2021. But if you go look at apartment prices in Parramatta, Epping, you know, lots of different places, Woolai Creek, did apartments go up in that when interest rates went to 2%? No. So are they going to potentially go down when interest rates go up to 6%? Um, you'd have to wonder. Yeah, so I think when you look at uh, some of the housing market scenarios where people talk about, you know, a major crash, you know, big arrears and um, a real sort of uh, cascading uh, downward spiral, it's usually, you talk about scenarios where, yes, you're right, big overbuild or oversupply of properties, very high mortgage rates causing mass defaults or a big rise in unemployment. Um, so we don't have any issues on the overbuild side of the equation. In fact, we've got a real undersupply in a lot of key areas, with especially with a rapid rate of population growth. So I don't think the demand side is going to be too much of an issue. Um, in terms of high mortgage rates, well, yes, relatively they are higher than they were, but they're not very high. I think the unemployment um, question is, sim is interesting. Uh, Job vacancies were so high. We had about 450,000 mm. job vacancies at the peak, and they've come down a fair bit, maybe 20% or so from the highs, but there's still a lot of job vacancies and a lot of people filling those vacancies. So I guess it suggests that the unemployment rate at the moment anyway is going to stay pretty low. It's still around 3.5%. Uh, definitely watch this space, though, because um, so the interest rates went up in May. They went up again in June. We've still got fixed, uh, fixed rate mortgages resetting. And I think the the data providers, I mean, they all show different things, but I guess the key message is, well, yes, I think some of those borrowers who took out fixed rate mortgages at very low interest rates during the pandemic, usually with short uh, periods, uh, one or two years fixed rates. And well, when those home loans expire over the next six, 12 months, and some of those are going to roll over into obviously much higher mortgage rates, well, that's really where there's going to be some risk of fallout, especially if the unemployment rate is rising. I think generally, though, I mean, despite the increase in home loan arrears, still only around sort of 1.4% or so 30-day arrears. Interesting that owner-occupier arrears at 1.5% are quite a lot higher than investor arrears at only 1%. So not necessarily what you'd expect given all the media coverage, but I suppose that largely reflects that uh, we've got very low rental vacancy rates and most investors are finding it pretty easy to tenant. Yeah, and I think we just went into this with very low total listings across the country, right? We didn't go into this um, situation where there was lots of people selling and, you know, there's just accruing of listings on the markets, you know, total listings across the market still ridiculously low. And so I would say that I'd say the payment holidays, how bank are going to protect people. Um, and I also think people are, if they start to feel like the other side, there's light at the other tunnel. So let's say inflation data comes out more positive and, um, you know, maybe we get this peak in rates and maybe they're like, well, I've only got to get through a couple of years till we potentially get some rate cuts. And there's, you know, and then family will help. And, you know, I do think there'll be this, you know, um, this natural thing is, oh, fixed rates are coming off. 
there's going to be these arrears. There's going to be this rush of properties on the market. Um, it's just this that makes a great headline story. In reality, does it play out like that? And is it that simple? Absolutely not. So, well, um, we've seen the interest only cliff was another yeah. good example, wasn't it? With it had all those interest only mortgages resetting, and there were big changes to macro prudential rules. And yes, it it doesn't really work in that way. It's not like everyone comes off on one particular day and the world ends. It's actually a it's it's really a process rather than a, an event. And I, I expect the fixed rate cliff will be similar. There'll be some pain, there'll be some defaults and some forced sales, but it's not necessarily an all or nothing scenario. And as you said, people usually muddle through these things. Um, and I think banks are generally, I mean, they're well aware of what's coming and they're certainly quite keen to work with borrowers who are uh, facing some stress, maybe with mortgage holidays or interest only periods. So yeah, yeah. it be an interesting uh, year ahead on that front. Um, Chris, let's uh, wrap up with our third story uh, what's happening in Victoria? So, uh, recent media reporting. So, uh, the uh, Premier is now proposing not only a broader scope and higher rate of land tax for property investors, which you already knew about, but now uh, discussing or proposing potentially rent caps, which could be on the table, or rent controls. And also, there's been some talk about uh, future uh, taxes or restrictions on Airbnbs, potentially. So, sounds like everything's on the table. What's going on down in Victoria, Chris? Yeah, it's a real attack on investors. And I think there's been an attack on investors well, all the way back to 2015, 2014. It was, you know, investors were causing a lot of that boom back then. And um, there was very relaxed lending to investors. They could get, you know, 10 times income. They could get interest only. Um, there was issues with borrowing calculators across all the different banks. And um, I think that back then there was this, oh, you know, with investors are basically pushing out first home buyers and, you know, it's just since then it's been a massive attack on investors in terms of their borrowing capacity. Um, they're always the the fallout when the government can blame for housing unaffordability. That's what Labor pitched at the 2019 election with negative gearing. Um, and so I just think this is, the, and that's what we've got a rental crisis right now because rental crisis, you need more people, investors entering the market. Um, you know, there's always investors leaving, but you need to keep investors coming to the market to create rental stock and rental listings. Um, for people to rent. Um, so if you don't have investors, then you're going to have rental crises and a shortfall. And so that's, I think, the big issue here is that Dan Andrews is, um, you know, Victoria's always been an area that if, you, if investors are truly borderless, right, if, if they haven't been in the past, there's always been a home bias, buy an investment property, you know, it might even be by your neighbour, that's how bad home bias was. Um, people would buy within their local area, things they could see and touch and drive past. But I do think like the new generation of investors coming through a little bit like, well, that's going to be expensive. What other places around the country could I do? Could I use a buyer's agent? Um, and so you've got to be really careful pissing off investors, to be honest, because if they say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to invest in Victoria, they'll start investing in other places around the country. And I think that's the the tight line that Dan Andrews is sort of running here. He's, he's already attacking um, people with holiday homes. He's attacking Airbnbs at the moment. He's attacking, um, you know, land tax, second homes. Um, and so, you know, are investors really the issue here or is it, um, you know, something, a bigger picture problem? Um, and I've so, seen this in the United Kingdom where they uh, are actually under conservative government as well. So it's not just a left-right thing mm. uh, where the mortgage interest deductibility, particularly for high-rate taxpayers, it wasn't fully deductible. And we've just seen a mass exodus from the private landlord market, which, okay, in the short term, it brings some supply onto the market, but over time, it really hasn't helped the rental market. This you know, rental crisis emerging in many parts of the
the country. Um, so I think I can I can understand why the the land tax um, was broadened and the the rate was increased largely because the to balance the budget because the debt blew out so significantly with all the lockdowns. And um, you know, there's obviously a, a housing shortage, but there's so little public housing or social housing being built, certainly on a net basis, and we've got record high population growth. So I guess um, in terms of the potential impacts, Chris, uh, rent controls, I mean, well, in the short terms, yes, it could actually keep a lid on rental price growth. But I suppose standard economic theory says rent controls don't work because if you try and push rents down while well, landlords decide to uh, sell up or not rent out their properties, and that ultimately reduces the amount of rentals available. And I think there's enough sort of evidence globally. There's um, cities like San Francisco, um, Germany tried rent controls, which seem to work in Berlin, but not in other parts of the country, which probably goes back to your point. Um, the world is sort of more global now, and capital can fro- flow much more freely interstate, but even internationally. Yeah. Um, so look, an investor might say, well, why would I invest in a, a state where I'm less welcome as a landlord when I could just go to New South Wales or Western Australia or uh, potentially somewhere else in the country. So I think in the medium term, that could happen. And uh, I guess rent controls normally are, are thought to reduce the supply of housing by up to 15%, basically having the opposite effect from what's intended. Yeah. And I think what do you do as an investor? You, If if, if mortgage rates were really low, then you know people are more likely to say, well, the rent doesn't matter as much because my costs aren't as much. But in this situation, a lot of investors are hurting. And you know, the market economy may say, actually, well, there's an undersupply, I could up my rents, um, and I need to, that, it's either I up my rents or I sell the property. Um, and if people can't up their rents, then they might be more likely to sell. And that would be great for home, first home buyers. And this isn't a, there's always a pro and a con, right? More uh, listings will probably create more options for first home buyers. But unfortunately, um, a lot of our investors have been buying, in particular in Melbourne, has been off the plan and high density apartments. They've fallen for the depreciation trap. And you know, you buy a new property, you get all these tax benefits. Um, and, you know, a lot of them, investors have switched on to realise they've had zero capital growth or very little capital growth. They may have got a bit of a tax deduction. But so if they start to sell to the market, well, a lot of first-home buyers don't really want those. They know they're not great investments. And so um, it's not really helping first-home buyers buying the stuff that investors don't really want. And so I think it's just um, the Airbnb is an interesting one. I do think that's a it's an easy target. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, but you've got to be careful targeting Airbnb. That's tourism, right? Um, you know, people can come here and rent um, apartments on Airbnb and they can get hotels. Um, also, it allows people to the economy. Like when we go to Melbourne, we get an Airbnb in the city, right? Um, and, you know, because we've got a family and we don't really want to live in an apart- a hotel, so it gives us a different option. Um, so I think there's going to be a target on Airbnb, whether it's a day rate like a little premium, you know, five or 10 bucks a night. Um, if you think about all the nights that are rented in Melbourne or Victoria um, every night, there'd be a lot of money the government could collect there. And I think that's just going to be a little gravy train that they're going to want to be a part of. It's a difficult one to know uh, how to go about tackling. Clearly, Airbnb is a big issue. I've seen in parts of Sydney whole tower blocks of Airbnbs. And actually, you're right, Melbourne, South Bank, the same. Uh, maybe rather than restrictions, it might be taxes that come in. I mm. think just generally on the rent controls point, I mean, do caps ever work in economics? I mean, if it was that simple, why wouldn't we just cap inflation at 3%, we cap interest rates at 35 and you know, and so on? There's a reason why we don't just do that sort of thing and you let markets uh, 
work things out. I mean, uh, certainly uh, rent controls didn't work particularly well in uh, the US, in New York. You know, landlords stopped spending on repairs. I think if you actually go back even through Australia's history, they had not only rent controls uh, during the war and so on, but also even price controls. But I think the problem is people just start finding ways around it, and they certainly did in Australia. Uh, people would start making sort of outsized payments for furniture and things like that, and eventually the controls were scrapped. Mm. I think if we went down this route in uh, Australia today, we'd probably get some unintended consequences, maybe an, an extra increase in the number of persons per dwelling, maybe more crowding, less spending on repairs. And anyway, when the rent control period ends, you probably just see a bigger increase. But maybe as a short term, it could actually fix, uh, you know, at least keep a lid on uh, rents. And that's, you know, that was certainly the experience in Berlin. It worked in the short term. Uh, so uh, again, it's another watch this space and uh, nothing's actually legislated at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? We could see 2 million Aussies have their rent frozen for a couple of years, which certainly on the inflation point would be welcome, uh, certainly in the short term. Yeah, and so when we're looking at clients with the option of, okay, well, I've got a budget um, and I can go, that budget, say, it's quite a significant one, so it's not two, 300 grand, so they've got options. They can go to Brisbane, they can go, you know, Sydney apartment, they could go a house in Central Coast or Wollongong or they could go a house in Melbourne or you know, they've got options, right? When they look at those doors, this literally happened for a client yesterday. We looked at Victoria and the yields in Melbourne, like the rent you get, versus the percentage of the property have historically been the lowest, right, versus somewhere like Queensland. So then if you're also saying we potentially need to pay more land tax, plus we have issues with rent controls, do we just avoid Victoria and do we go somewhere else? And I think that's the issue here is that um, people are already having to go to Victoria because yields are very low um, or have to factor that in and then potentially with rent controls, do you really want to take that bet? Um, and so I think there is going to be this... Um, yeah, and then I think also existing investors are more likely to leave the market as well. So, um, yeah, let's watch this space. I think Queensland started tried something a few months ago as well, Pete. Um, can't remember exactly the details because it didn't actually go ahead. What did they try? And it, it failed, right, because it got a lot of bad publicity. Oh, well, there's been the rent freeze, but also there was a proposal for uh, uh, taxes to be uh, – so for if you had an investment property in Queensland, but you could actually be taxed on your – uh, portfolio right. in other states, which seemed yeah. almost unconstitutional at the time. Now, um, at first it went under the radar. Then there was an almighty shit fight as people realised. Uh, you know, I had uh, one example of uh, somebody I know who actually had a, you know, just a cheap rental unit up in I think Townsville or Bundaberg, and then she was like, "Well, hang on, I'm going to be taxed on my entire portfolio in Melbourne here just because of this little unit I've got." Of course, I was going to. Uh, damage the rental supply, which is already chronic, especially in southeast Queensland. And eventually, I think once people uh, thought it through, well, it got scrapped pretty quickly. But yeah, there's been some uh, wild ideas being tossed around, and it seems you know, it's not the the stable sort of environment that people can make ten year investment decisions mm. when state governments are throwing ideas around, uh, you know, to a penny. So uh, yeah, it'd be good to get some consistency of policy, and then people can uh, make investment decisions with confidence um so yeah so wrap up on those three stories this week then so uh, firstly uh, we uh, talked about um well the first uh, thing we looked at was the jardin report with listings now rising so normally you wouldn't see that until spring uh, but now we're just starting especially in sydney to see new listings actually well they're above average now for this time of year which we haven't been able to say well for some years now uh, secondly 
uh, mortgage stress and mortgage arrears and personal loan arrears are starting to rise, as you'd expect, I guess, with rising mortgage rates, but particularly in the mortgage belt suburbs, outer Sydney, northwest Melbourne, those kind of areas. And we're starting to see home loan delinquency rates rising. And finally, uh, proposed rent controls on top of the uh, proposed land tax for property investors in Victoria. Certainly going to annoy a few people over the uh, year or two ahead. Uh, so it be interesting to see how that plays out. I think um, some interesting stories for us to tackle next week. We'll have the inflation figures. Also, the ACT is undertaking a proposed radical rezoning plan. This is something that economists have been talking about for a long time, whether we could rezone or upzone certain parts of our cities to allow more density. And uh, ACT could well be the test case, Chris. So we'll have to... Uh, uh, see how that one plays out over the next week or two. Yeah, I mean, I saw in the um, SMH today as well. Sydney Metro West is, you know, back on the table. And is it going to go ahead? That's a that's a big story. That's a, you know, infrastructure, massive infrastructure project, probably the biggest in the country. That doesn't go ahead. Um, also, see, there's a bit more in the Yimby movement in Sydney. So there's lots always happening in the property stories. And um, I'm going to sneak in one more on Monday morning, Pete, uh, before I go to Fiji. So. I wish everyone a happy Sunday. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So you can catch me at Pete Wardgen Blogspot. That's my daily blog or at Pete Wardgen on Twitter. Of course, you should subscribe for the Rask podcast on your favourite podcast player. And of course, on YouTube. And don't forget to grab your tickets for the Rask Roadshow. And Chris, if people want to give you a shout over at Blusk, where should they go for more? Yeah, absolutely. Just in the in the show notes, um, as every episode, check us out. Um, and um, yeah, the team would love to sort of guide you through and get that clarity. It's a stressful time, no matter if you're thinking about buying or you've got a mortgage. And by the way, as always, do send us your property questions via the link in the show notes or even just to say hello and give us some feedback because we're here to serve and chat about whatever's hot and whatever's not. So uh, thanks for joining, Chris, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you, Pete. Happy Sunday. Cheers. Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete, or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player.
to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.